0: This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up with your host, the online sales master, Quinn Amorum. Welcome back to the show, my friends. Today we have a guest who went to college for mechanical engineering and he dropped out senior year. Then he moved to Utah and he got a gig where he was selling and developing tablet and iPad enclosures. And then a company sold And he started his own called Clugonics and out of his one bedroom apartment. And this was at the time a full service development uh, firm. Uh, Now he has a team of designers, engineers, management here in the USA, and then an office in China with PMs, QC managers, and even customer support. Now he's not only developing and helping his customers, but he's also developing brands for himself. We have with us today, Jason Klug. How's it going, Jason?
1: Good. Thanks for having me.
0: It's a pleasure to have you here, Jason. So tell me, before you started Clugonix, you were developing tablet enclosures. Are those like tablet cases, almost like phone cases? Uh,
1: no, and that's the funny thing too, right? It was like, um, you know, that's what you would think, right? Just like phone cases. But it, it was actually much more unique uh, where this this guy, Scott Paul, when the iPad came out, he was like, why can't this be used as an interactive interface in various business environments? And he started making metal boxes for iPads that bolt onto like walls and stands. And, you know, you probably see them today where, you you, you know, you can walk up and you can enter your email into it, or they use them at like coffee shops as point of sale systems. Mm. Um, so I was developing a variety of tablet enclosures, not just for iPads, but for Samsung tablets and, you know, all kinds of off-brand Chinese tablets, whatever, you know. So that was a, a great start to getting my, you know, hands dirty and developing products. So, yeah. Uh,
0: okay. I think I, I know what it is because uh, Toronto Airport, every table has like a couple yeah. of those. Like some tables have 10 of those. And there's exactly. a, a tablet there you can access. You can order food to the, from the nearest restaurant. And they'll yeah. deliver it to your iPad or to your chair where you,
1: is uh, a great that's a great example right and that was the vision Scott had you know many years ago when the iPad first came out and now it's crazy like whenever I'm out and about and and that was I left that company like seven or so years ago, so it's cool to like go out in the wild and see not only products that I designed many years ago you know through that but then other companies also making and implementing tablets in business and you know, consumer environments, it's pretty yeah. sweet. So that was a great start to expose my, what is possible in the ability of making products. You know, that was, that was the first one. So
0: yeah, the man, that, that must be such an amazing feeling. I experienced something, uh, I'm guessing it's similar. And my, my thing is the private label. So mm-hmm. the first time I walked into somebody's house and I saw my product there, because it is private label, I know I'm the only one selling it. When I saw my product on somebody's shelf, uh the feeling is like something i can't I can't explain, but it was like I didn't tell them it was mine, but it was like, this is so amazing. I made that right, although I didn't I love it I didn't create it, but you actually create things, so the feeling must be even stronger
1: I, yeah, I love it i exactly that feeling I mean there's been times where i mean I still see you know, there's, there's uh, an, uh, just an iPad, like a stand that's like a table stand for an iPad enclosure that I made, you know, it was one of the last things I finished before I left the company. And I still see them out and about today. And I look at it and it's like, yeah, it's a rewarding feeling uh, to see it. And I, I've actually seen it where I remember we would sell to companies like movie you know producers and or like, uh, like even in like in, in one of the Avengers movies, for example... They used one of our enclosures as, like, in one of, like, the, you know, bases at the Avengers thing. There's, like, tablets mounted, and they're interacting with it, like Iron Man and stuff. And I saw one of my designs. It's like, whoa, I I remember, you know, making that. And I remember the sales guy who did the sale on being like, hey, I got this going to Marvel Studios. And I'm like, no way. And so, yeah, I love it. Great feeling, right?
0: No I mean that that would talk, that would be the cherry on the cake N- seeing your product on the movie. I mean yeah. yeah that is insane. So what you're doing right now you're actually developing products you're creating them. You're not just private labeling products, right?
1: Right yes. So you know, with, with the skills that I developed doing the tablets, you know, the engineering, you know, working with uh, designers and, you know, manu- manufacturers and all that stuff in my background being more on the mechanical engineering side, I just got the experience to piece it all together and, you know, making tablet enclosures is cool. Fantastic experience. The company and all that was literally dream come true with, you know, what I needed to teach myself, what I'm capable of. Um, but, you know, leaving that, I wanted to make, all kinds of products consumer products you know even some more b2b products um so yeah i left and i started just you know doing it out of my apartment by myself and over time i have built a a team of you know trying to basically put people in place that are better than me at it you know Mm -hmm. like i have engineers now that are better than me at engineering i have designers that have a, a brain and the way they think through the development of a project is just um just something way outside of what I'm capable of uh, in, in creativity and user experience and uh, aesthetics and all that. And then I have management. You know, I got a, um, a- Alyssa running project management. She's way more organized than me and making sure timelines are hit, all that stuff. And, you know, so th- we're just growing, right? So now it's like we just get to make all kinds of stuff. Whatever comes our way, we, we like to uh, help customers create that vision. So get it right. to market.
0: So uh, let me just go back one little bit. When you were in the um, tablet enclosure business, you were developing, but you were also selling them. Were you inv- involved in like the marketing side? Was uh, it direct-to-consumer? No, or
1: No, that was like all B2B sales. But when I first got to that company, I was a salesman. So. That was like literally the first month or so I was doing sales. But because I was in engineering, and I remember in the first interview, I was interviewing with Scott, the CEO, and I was like, Well, actually, I really am like, you know, engineering minded. I can sell, but like, I want to make stuff at the end of the day, you know, so I'd love to, you know, eventually have something, you know, work with you guys on making stuff. And they didn't have engineering at the time. Um, But what would happen is I get these sales calls. And I remember one time, like, the head of product for IBM calls and like and i'm like well we don't have that tablet but i think we can make it we can make that enclosure i I think i can make it so i started going home and just 3d modeling stuff on my own and then i'd go into the office the next day and go scott hey you know i ibm called yesterday and they said they needed this and i think uh i I made this i'd love to present it to them see if we could do this and then you know and then i became the head of their product development so then that's when we started you know i I got to work with, uh, I, got, I started to get a little team going where I got to work with Ken, who was more on like, you know, management and helping me like be my right-hand man and making sure everything actually was implemented. And we got project managers, you know, I used designers and stuff here and there. Um, so I eventually was just full bore engineering and development. But at the same time, I was working with salesmen on custom projects where a customer would come to us and be like, hey, we need a tablet made for this scenario. And it's like, okay, so then I got to do like the discovery process. Um, and, you know, it started shaping like a consistent process of, you know, okay, here's a customer. This is what their problem is we need to solve. Um, this is what we can use to achieve that. Let's create a custom enclosure or create a custom mount or whatever, right? So yeah, by the end of it, I you know, was just full board creating and just collaborating with sales.
0: So one of the things I want to know is when, when you're creating a product that basically doesn't exist yet, you don't know if it has demand. I mean, there's maybe a couple of things you can do to to see, but you're never 100% sure. So what do you do if one of these brand new products fails? Did you Do you just lose oh. the, that research and what happens?
1: I mean, yeah, that happens, right? But, you know, there's definitely a lot you could do up front, you know, like... Um, you know, there's surveys, there's uh, talking to potential customers, there's talking to people that have, you know, capabilities of distributing like you, for example, on Amazon, I'm sure, you, you know, you could use the tools and see demand on various products mm-hmm. with sell through, like Amazon, uh, like I use one called Unicorn Smasher, right? To see yeah. Amazon data, like, sometimes you can look around and see what kind of uh, demand there is there. And, um, you know, just the creative process, you know, like, our creative director, Aaron, for example, really does a good job taking clients through a creative process because a client might come to us with an idea, not, you know, knowing, um, you know, they might have something in mind, but they maybe haven't fully wrapped their brain around it. And Aaron's able to then take that and and pick their brain and get an idea and understand what they're looking for. But then also, you know, he'll step aside and go into, um, you know, some in-depth, you know, digging on looking at the marketplace, looking at, you know, other products that are out there, looking at um, other inspiration uh, with design and functionality. That you know, he's he's been able to shape this piece of clay and present it back to the client saying, well, I think this might actually work better because you're going to appeal to this customer better and blah, blah, blah. Um, So, A lot of the risk can be mitigated by going through a proper design process. Um, But still, you know, it does happen where you bring a product to market and it doesn't do well. Like, for example, a recent failure I had, which I don't even think is a failure yet. It was a failure um, up front, but we created, uh, worked with a brand called Atomos Fans, and they have an incredible product already. It's a, a commercial product. That is this, you know, big misting fan. And instead of it just being a nozzle that sprays mist in front of the fan and blows the mist, uh, it has this disc that spins at, you know, 7,500 RPM in a little trough of water. And that disc spinning that fast picks up the water, breaks it down into small, fine mist particles, like a, you know, four to ten micron mist, and then blows it out. So by the time it's like a foot in front of the fan, it's like cold air versus wow. moisture and wet air so you know i walked by a trade show i walked by their booth and i got blown by a cold breeze and i'm like what is it an ac blowing on me and i look over and it's a misting fan I'm like there's no way that's a misting fan um so i got to know felipe and, and and jay and um so we made a consumer version of it so we sh- shrunk it down to a smaller package made it so you could put it on a table in your house or put it on your back patio and um we're like okay you know get it to market with a kickstarter and um, you know, Kickstarter these days are expensive. You know, you have to run ads. You have to really uh, um, do some pre-work to acquire customers. You have to run ads throughout, and um, so. We were, but we were confident. We thought it was a cool product. Uh, but as we're running these ads, we realize the demographic that's into this product is 50 plus, and they're very affluent and got money to spend. Um, and with that, it's like no one on Kickstarter is 50 plus with money to spend. They're all millennials. So the millennials were falling off, but. There's, we realized how many people were going to the Kickstarter that were 50 plus, interested in the product, but then falling off because the fact that it's a Kickstarter and they don't get the product right away. But mm. now we know, um, and, and you know, Jay and Felipe are, are confident now. Okay, we're still going to go to market. We're just going to you know have to fund the tooling and stuff out of pocket or you know find an investor. But we know this thing is going to sell. We just have to sell directly to the right you know, demographic and make sure that it ships in a couple days and they're more likely to convert. Um, So yes, it was a failure. The campaign was a failure, but we walked away from that campaign with this, a lot of this data, this knowledge and this confidence that people are interested in the fan. We just have to put it in front of the right audience.
0: Okay. So it was, it it was kind of a failure, but it's not over yet. So it's not really a failure until you're over yeah. yeah as as you were explaining it I was thinking like man I want one of those
1: right yeah. yeah so you're just talking about how hot it is up there at the farm in Saskatchewan it's like you know if you're sitting on this patio you know back patio and you have this thing nearby you would be oh, yeah. you'd be great and it, and it's and surprisingly it works in human environments and it works in dry environments you know cuz they're down in Texas so in Texas it's super humid and uh I mean, they've been selling these these other fans for, you know, the last like 12 years and, you know, have a lot of happy customers. So, Um, but yeah, that's turning into how to take a failure and really make it a benefit from it. You just got to look at why you failed and see if it's, you know, leading you in another direction.
0: Yeah, we'll have to do you know a follow up on that one like six months from now or a year or something and see be, where,
1: where it'll is. probably be about a year. That's a big <laughs> complex product to get there, but you know we, we'll uh, yeah we will get there. They they uh, will figure out how how to get them there. So,
0: so in your line of business, there there has to be you know uh, I don't know mistakes, failures, or, or things that you have learned from, and now that when you have a client you, you're you going to teach them not to do those same mistakes so what are some that come to mind
1: oh yeah i mean definitely um made enough mistakes on my own that i pass uh through to clients like a lot of it is like uh i mean even just like talking about the research stuff like i i used to not do as you know the research you know my my fiance kelsey's background is all in the research um you know and she's she's you know showed me how valuable and important it is um aaron our creative director you know i just let you know i i make sure that there's enough time and and budget for him to do some in-depth research um i used to make the mistake all the time of just being like i bet people will want this i want this but you know what at the end of the day it's like does my opinion like if i was buying a million units my opinion would matter but i am not buying a million units so it's like um you know that is, uh, yeah, it's crucial. It, it's mm. So many times where I've just like, you know, just made assumptions and, and uh, yeah. Also, like a lot comes into the financial strategy. You know, with making a product, you know, it costs a lot of money. You know, getting patent work done, getting uh, tooling, um, and and you know this, I'm sure, with with you know, getting a first run for even a product to sell on Amazon, it's like you got to be prepared to pay for that production run, you know, the freight fees, you know, if they're importing it, the customs duties, um, you just got to make sure you're you're ready for that type of, uh, expense. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you do get that product in a warehouse ready to ship and you're, you have the skills and the ability to start moving it or you have someone that you can rely on to help you move it. Um, I mean, Just like we talked about earlier with seeing product in the market, nothing's better than being like having a Shopify store and then getting pinged with that cash register (laughs) sound every time someone buys your product. You know,
0: that that is the most beautiful sound. I mean, and to a certain point, because after a while, then if you always have the notifications on, it gets it gets kind of boring. But
1: you you just gotta mute it. Once you mute it, I feel like that's success. When you have to mute it, it's like yeah,
0: doing all right. That's exactly what I thought. Cause the first when when it first comes in that cha sound is like yeah. yes. And every time we go run to the phone and and, and see the notification, what sold, how much, and then go yeah. see to what city. And then after a while, when I thought like, I'm gonna turn this off, then I, then that's when you realize, man, I, I'm turning off the Cha-Ching sound.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> And then you and then you like get to the point where you check it maybe three times a day or whatever and you just see like okay how am I progressing today and you know but yeah like uh, that's how it is with uh so with all these resources of developing products um you know we've also started making a couple we've made a few brands uh, of our own because if we have you know the design capabilities the you know I've got uh you know the manufacturing my partner Nate. Um, And I we we have an office in China where we're able to, you know, not only just do the design and the engineering and the prototyping uh, here in the states. We then go through a transition period where we onboard our team in China and we uh, are able to, you know, visit, vet, find manufacturers, um, you know, go through sampling and validation, tooling, um, and then go through production and quality control and all that stuff. So we're really able to help products get all the way and then continuously do production runs and continuously get better um but because of that it's like why not build our own brands you know and start uh being able to sell our own products and figure out the shopify and the direct-to-consumer brand model and stuff like that um so we have built um you know a company called dry home which uses uh a material called diatomaceous earth uh to rapidly dry moisture and we make products like bath mats out of it we make uh dish drying pads and dish racks and coasters and uh, a variety of products and then we also made a recent product is called the foot hook which is a, a, a little hook you put on your door at the bottom so when you're walking through the door you can hook your foot under it and open the door without your hands, so you don't touch the covid infested
0: handle nice
1: you know but but Yeah, and that's, like, something we get to hold close to ourselves. As a matter of fact, my entire team invested to get this product going. They all invested their own money. We're all partners in it, and, um, you know, we get to share that excitement of that cash register and see why making product is not just satisfying to go through the process, but, like, you know, if you can make money on the product you're making, it's, like, awesome, you know?
0: Yeah. So, listen, when you create something like that, do you – patent it immediately do you wait to see if it has any success
1: well we in order to like to get a patent like us you do have to patent it before you publicly announce it mm-hmm. um but we'll go through a good bit of the design process so we're like confident like okay this is uh, this is the product this is how it's gonna work um and then we'll go and get a um a patent filed, so we can say patent pending if it's a client i usually introduce them to a patent attorney and say okay you have these design assets from us. Now it's time to start working with a patent attorney. If you don't have one of your own, here's, here's the guy I work with. Um, and I'll just introduce them and let them go through that process together. Uh, for this product, it's hard to get a utility patent on. So we have a design patent on it and trademark on the branding and all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely uh, um, good to get uh, protection however you can and um, uh, get that implemented before it's obviously public. Because if you make it public and then file a patent after the fact, then the USPTO will likely reject it because mm-hmm. it's um, yeah, it's just the wrong order.
0: Okay, got it. So we're in 2020 right now, and there's so many things that happen. Good for some people, bad for the most. And, I mean, everybody's learning lessons now in 2020. Uh, yeah. What, what's the biggest that you had to learn this year?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think uh, – so. Oh, a majority of our sales before um, were trade shows. so we would go physically to a trade show, you know hunter and I my 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 sales rep and and we would go to these trade shows and walk the floor and meet product companies and you know connect with them and then you know follow up and then build a relationship and then get business right that's how we would get a majority of our sales. It's very manual process, but we enjoyed, you know, building relationships in person and, and um, you know, get, we, and then we would go to trade shows year after year and we have a lot of friends and industries that we love and clients that we love to spend time with and go see. Um, so that, you know, that was, we, we relied on that a lot, you know, and then with COVID obviously there's no trade shows, you know, the interpersonal connection is all like this, right. You know, video calls, which you could still do a good bit with, but it does not help uh, developing inbound leads. But, you know, right after COVID started going, I was like, okay, what's, you know, what are we going to do here? So, you know, I've been trying to do more uh, podcasts like this. I've been trying to do uh, as much, uh, you know, I, I hired Martina who does all of our marketing. She's been helping um, get, you know, do go through getting articles posted and writing about the process of developing products and, you know, more marketing content like that. And then we're also creating... Um, uh, I was actually filming yesterday. We had a full day of filming. Uh, we, we created a, a bunch of ads. So we got a bunch of ads that we're going to launch in the next couple months and start running paid advertising to uh, bring more founders in uh, uh, you know, our way so we can help them add their next product or create new products. And honestly, that has been a massive shift from trade shows. You know, So my hopes are when when trade shows start coming back up, yeah. that will have the ad side of things figured out. And with your experience in like Shopify and e-commerce, like once you figure out how to get a positive return on ad spend and you figure out, you know, your demographics, your audiences and your lookalike campaigns and all that stuff, you can make incredibly profitable, um, you know, um, ad spend and decisions and data driven decisions. Right. Mm-hmm. And if we have that combined with trade shows, it's gonna be. Um, that's how I think we're gonna to grow to the next level. And COVID is what pushed us to do that. You know, because it's a big leap to go and spend the money on the ads and, and creating them, and spend the money on the ad spend up front. And usually, you, you don't make money right away. You have to like stick it out and collect some data and then refine and refine and refine until you're profitable. Um, but yeah, COVID forced us to do that, and I'm I'm somewhat thankful that it has.
0: Yeah, you know what I uh, I experienced kind of the opposite in one of the businesses because uh, not only I create the private labels and sell them, I also have the agency side where we manage e-commerce uh, companies or companies yeah. that want to sell online. We only do the online side of things, and on that part, on the agency, we actually turned off ads uh, because so many people learned the lesson that you have to be more the. Or not just depending of the physical side, the retail side, right? And they have to be online. So a lot of people approached us since then, and man, it's been big growth and at the same time hiring. And like you talked about hiring, and I want to know, like, how do you do your hiring? Because you are hiring specialty people. You're not just hiring, uh, right? You you got to hire a designer, and engineers, uh, marketers. In from my personal experience designers the best are always I don't know what's the right term a, a good designer is weird and the personality yeah. uh, so how, how do you pick them
1: well yeah it's a good I mean we've hired uh, lately we've hired uh, marketing martina is, is joined us to help with uh, actually having someone in-house working on you know driving leads and you know analytics of our site all that stuff and then we hired uh, a new engineer recently named Luke. Um, but, you know, the tools that I've been using to drive um, applications is uh, I use and we're hiring a project manager right now. There's another thing we need to bring on board. But we use LinkedIn and I actually, you know, we build out a nice job posting and we post it and we spend, you know, we, we pay for the, uh, you know, feed which it's like, you know, depending on clicks and stuff, you pay X amount and you set a daily limit. And like, for example, the engineering role, we got over like a hundred something applicants in like a week and a half. And like the project manager role, we've got 70 applicants right now. And it's like, then with marketing, you know, we had like, like what 60 something applicants. And like, it's a valuable tool where you could then go through, you could see all these applicants and like, you know with the marketing role for example we had like five or six that stood out that we moved into interviewing and like you know we we have to do video calls and stuff and you know because culture for our team is very important you know we see we're like a family right like we're, we're we're all close and we've you know really been involved in you know early stages of this company until where it's at you know the the core team and it's like you know you can get so much of that with video um but you know just is multiple video calls, interviews, and then, you know, making sure that the vibe is right, making sure that we're going to provide them the job that they need, you know, want and they're looking for, and we're a good fit for them. And um, yeah, I'm just kind of going from there and it's, it's tough, but like tools like LinkedIn, you know, with that application process has made it very easy. And I think has made a big change in the industry of uh, recruiting. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's been helpful.
0: Yeah, definitely. I use it too. LinkedIn is, is great. Yeah. So getting into Clugonix a little bit more in depth, if somebody wants to develop a product, that means they can contact Clugonix and get the whole process done, or is there some homework that they need to do before approaching you, and what exactly are you going to do? You're going to get their idea into paper and then into, from paper to 3D, or how does this go?
1: Yeah, I mean it depends on you know sometimes we have companies come with a more refined product idea and we're just carrying it the rest of the way, but also I mean we have people come with like a napkin sketch or you know just a high level description of what they're trying to achieve and and yeah we take them through a process that starts with industrial design um, and that's where we do you know like a kickoff meeting we really pick their brain and ask them a you know list of questions to. You know, tease out you know features or you know target audience or you know aesthetic you know you know like hints of directions if you go with the aesthetics. You know, like if your if your product was a car, what type of car would it be? You know, it's questions like that. Then you know you know get your brain going, get your wheels turning. You know, we start there, right? And that that gives you know Aaron or Izzy or whoever, whatever designers work on the project, enough ammo to start putting pen to paper and, um, you know, start conceptualizing and we start super broad, um, and you know, we will start broad and rough, uh, with, you know, visuals. And then we get back with the client we present this and then we say, okay, what, what direction do you like? What features do you like? What, what do you, you know, what, and we'll even throw like photos of other products that might inspire, uh, a, a material finish, a surface, like a texture, all that stuff. And uh, from there, you know, another conversation, another brainstorm, but with visuals where they can go. Okay, I like concept A, but I like the feature from concept C. I want to implement that somehow. And then on this this other page, I really like, you know, that chair you posted because of this material and how it works with this wood. You know, is there, and then and then continue to refine. So the designer then steps, takes that information away. You know, plugs in all that that data, that information they got from that meeting, refines the product, and present it again, and refine. And usually, you know, two three fa- rounds of refinement. At the end, we're sitting with a concept on in 2D that the client's like, great, let's do it, let's let's move forward. So then, we've got a 2D you know visual representation of what this product is going to look like, and you know descriptions of its you know ideal function and all that stuff. Um, then it goes from a designer uh, to engineering. Um, And this is where we move it into, um, you know, like a 3D environment. And we start actually making 3D models, um, you know, CAD drawings, all that good stuff. And even sometimes making, you know, really rough prototypes to test, you know, various functionalities and refine it. Or uh, we have some 3D printers in-house, so we're able to quickly, like, create something, print it, test it, make sure everything moves well, this mechanism is good, the geometry is good. Um, you know, how does it feel in your hand, stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, we by the end of the first engineering phase, which we call the prototype design phase, we usually have like a really refined prototype that is uh, testable. Um, sometimes even something you could even start making videos and photos of. So you can start, you know, do a Kickstarter mm-hmm. or start presenting it to the world uh, to get some feedback or to get some uh, customer input, stuff like that. And also at that point, usually you have, a patent filed so you can say patent pending Um, and then you know this is what really differentiates us so after you tested this prototype you have a lot of input from what worked what doesn't work you know the sizing right you know what did you like about it what did you not like about it what did your potential customers say Um, and then we go through a refinement process Uh, and this is the value of Nate and his team in China because we run our China office as a separate entity called Onyx 360 so Nate you know, like it's just so complex to do manufacturing and the onboarding and that whole process and working with a team of, of people in China. And, you know, we've got a team of 15 there now. So Nate runs that office. Sometimes we'll even pull Nate in um, after this phase and get his input and start, you know, seeing okay, what factories do we already work with that could potentially do this? Are we going to have to find a new factory? Is the price point of the item going to hit you know, that margin that we need to make this a successful product, we start teasing out those questions on the factory side. Um, And, you know, from there, you know, we implement all that feedback. We implement the client's feedback, you know, our team's feedback, Nate and his team's feedback from the factory, um, and we revise the drawings and get like a buttoned-up set of final drawings, right? That file set is, you know, where we then go, okay, Nate, Your turn. Nate picks up the project um, and then starts working with his team to find a factory, you know, set up, figure out tooling, sampling process. And then we're making the product, uh, one-offs of the product at the factory level. Uh, And this is where we get, you know, their engineers in, you know, at the factory who's like, let's say we're making uh, a baby teeter, right? So here's a baby teeter that we've made. I've got parts of it sitting all over my desk here. Um, we've been making this for a while. But, you know, we, we, we work with a silicone factory that's been making silicone products for years. So their engineer knows silicone, knows how to work with it. Um, and we, you know, w- work with them to refine the product, make sure that we're achieving price point, make sure that functionality is there, make sure it's going to pass all the teething tests, uh, you know, the material tests, all that stuff. Um, and, you know, get to the part where we have a golden sample. And that golden sample is like, okay, this is it. I'm ready to produce 5,000 of these things exactly how this is. Here's my purchase order. Let's start production, right? Production mm-hmm. begins. We, you know, produce the however many units on that first production run. And then, you know, James and is and, and, uh, on our QC team and will actually go into the factory, inspect However many units that need to be inspected based on the quality standards that we set with you know the client, right? How how in depth of quality control do you want? Um go and inspect it, you know, develop a report, say, Oh, this didn't work, this is wrong, we need to get this fixed, the factory fixes it, you know, comes back, goes through inspection again if that's the case, uh, passes inspection, we're good. Load it up on a container and get it wherever it needs to go. So it's like it's a long process. So yeah. when we work with clients, like we build a good relationship, like we have to, otherwise we're stuck with them for a long time because it takes a while to do it. But um, you know, we know how important it is to really help people get through that because you being even white labeling, you know, it's even it's a challenge, right? Like there's a lot of stuff you yes. have to make sure is right. You know, otherwise you can have a very expensive mistake to fix.
0: Yeah, that definitely sounds like a. No, it's not an overnight process. There's definitely a lot going on, a lot of people involved. Yeah, and, which I guess that's the key to success is having a lot of different minds, different eyes oh. looking at things. And here's one of the things that I couldn't get my mind off is that everybody that approaches you or approaches Plugonics thinks they have the million dollar idea because nobody's going to say, Jason. I want to create this product because I think I can make an extra two or three thousand dollars a month, right yeah. They think it's gonna be the next big thing, and sometimes it isn't how do do you break their heart and just tell them like this is uh,
1: not yeah so that, I mean there has been times where I've told people their baby's ugly right <laughs> you, have to, you have to be like hey like i I know this might solve the problem for you, but you know I want you to make sure that it solves the problem for every, you know, everybody in that market. Right. And that's yeah. always like, um, I'm really like that, you know, those conversations and stuff early on are very important. Don't be afraid to ask people and protect the idea too much. Otherwise you might, you'll, you won't know until you're patent pending. And by the time you're patent pending, you've already spent a ton of money to realize that no one wants it, you know? So you can always tease out, you know, demand high level, just from having conversations with random people that might be interested. Um, but, you know, they might come to us with an idea that's maybe like the concepts there, like it's a good like it's okay, you're heading in the right direction, um, but it needs some refinement. And that's where, like, you know, Aaron and Izzy, their creative process come into play. And they, they're not afraid to say, hey, like, I really think you got something good here. But when we started, you know, doing some mock up prototypes and testing it, I think this is a better way to do it, you know, and it's like, it's a lot of times the entrepreneur then is going to go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Okay. Let's let's proceed that way. So, you know, that's where, you know, it can be tough to be like, Hey, this, this is not the way to do it. But, you know, as long as we come back at it in a way that is, um, you know, like, what about this? Because it solves this problem by doing this, you know, and that, that is um, usually the best way to solve it, soften that blow. And then after
0: a product is finalized, it, it's completely done. Now the marketing side of things that's up to the client, right? The person that owns that product, they are going to yeah. do the launches themselves. You have any input, or just give them tips, or that's completely on them?
1: No, I mean, I mean, I will usually like introduce them to people I know that help with marketing. Um, you know, like it's going to know that you're in the Amazon space, so I'm sure I could find people to pass your way, right? Like. It's, it's always, uh, it's, I, I always like to have people in other agencies and other, you know, freelancers that are good at that side of things to be able to go, okay, I, I think you should work with so-and-so um, to get this set up. But also when we're looking for, um, you know, when a client comes to us, like an entrepreneur, I do like to understand, like, where are they? Like, where is their skill set? Are they really good at sales? Are they really good at design and branding? You know, do they build yeah. awesome websites? Do they... Um, you know, what is their skill set or are they like, like an accountant, you know, but they know money and finance, but they're, they're going to need some help with the marketing and stuff. And okay, then, you know, you probably should start working with this person early on, you know, um, so you can start shaping the other side of your business. Um, so I do like to, um, you know, make introductions where I can to make sure that they are surrounded with those resources. Um, And then when it comes, but, you know, and then also a lot of times we're, you know, existing brands, a majority of our clients, like our existing brands that have already got a product to market and they're looking to add their next product to grow their business. Um, And, uh, you know, in that case, they, they're already, you know, showing us that they are capable of getting a product distributed, whether it's to retail or um, if it's direct to consumer brand or Amazon, stuff like that.
0: Gotcha. And if... The people that are listening to us right now, if they have, everybody has some idea that at one point they're like, or not everybody, but most entrepreneurs have thought of something that could potentially serve a lot of people and can make them a lot of money, but they're holding it with them for a couple of reasons. One, because a lot of people think it could be expensive or they're afraid to fail at launching it. And then there's also another fear that I, I know is out there. Um, is the fear that somebody steals their idea because I get approached for people that are trying to private label something sometimes and just to ask my opinion, they get me to sign an NDA and then I look oh, yeah. and, and it's okay. I'm just going to put my logo on a Bluetooth speaker. It's like, really? You don't need an yeah. NDA for that. <laughs> if I wanted to put my logo on a Bluetooth speaker,
1: I would have, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, so, yeah. There's a million ways to do that type of stuff too. Right. Like, you know, yeah, that's that's a mistake entrepreneurs make, is like they do keep it close themselves. Like and we sign non-disclosures all the time, it's just part of our business, no problem. But um, you know, and but it the amount of effort it takes for um, someone to knock off your idea and beat you there is in, like massive, right? Uh it is like it's it's tough, right? If you go to a big brand though, like let's say you've got a toy product, and you go on the big dogs and you're not protected, you didn't get a patent, you know, and you walk in there and you go, here's my idea. It's like, that's how your idea is going to get stolen. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Versus going up to people like, you know, you're making a, like a golf product and you, you go out to the golf course and you talk to some guys in the pro shop and you talk to, you know, some guys that you're playing golf with or whatever and start picking their brains on the idea. Like they're not going to go, it's pretty tough or rare that they're going to go and take that idea and, and go and build it. And, and it's it's like, if they do, then you probably should choose better golfing partners. Or it's like, um, you know, think about, yeah, like if even if they were to take that idea and do it without you, it's likely they're going to do it a completely different way than you. Because there's probably like a million different ways to solve that problem. And throughout our process, you'd see that because, like, when a designer presents something to you, they don't just present it and go, This is it. This is the idea. It's like, yeah. Here's like 30, like a bunch of ways to do it. You know, what way do you want to do it? You know, and it's like, you know, and it also comes down to who's going to build the better brand. You know, like, brand is yes. crucial. Like, who's going to have the better content? Who's going to put the effort into doing good quality photo and video shoots? Who's going to put the effort into, uh, setting up a well-developed website that converts well, um, you know, who's going to, you know, all that stuff, you know, like all that stuff is crucial in, you know, the people that are afraid to get started because someone's going to steal their idea, then yeah. you're, you're, you're more likely to have that idea stolen because someone beats you to it because you're not starting, you know? And then yes, money is, uh, the, the cost of it is expensive in a limiter, right? So there's a lot of ways to find money these days you know pitch family and friends and you know if you believe in it you do some family friend round get enough to get to the next stage and then you know yeah
0: and get going
1: and get going yeah <laughs> like this it's just um, there's so many ways to get it going but the problem is if you don't start you'll never know you'll, that that opportunity is just sitting there and it's just like
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah like you're never gonna make that leap and yeah. I don't know. Like you just got to make the leap and failure is like, if anything, if you fail, you're just going to be stronger. Right. It's like failing is almost like going to the gym. Right. Like you gotta, you gotta break it down a little bit. And if you don't fail, like you're, you're not going to pivot. No, nobody starts a business and doesn't fail at something. You, you're going to fail all over, but the successful entrepreneurs are the ones that pivot quickly. They learn from that failure yeah and go okay that didn't work but i'm gonna do it this way and then boom that works okay great and then um eventually what happens is you know the things that you fail at consistently you're like okay i'm not good at that i'm gonna bring this person on that is good at that and then it's not gonna fail as much and then okay i'm gonna like i suck at like setting up marketing and stuff that's why i like brought on martina it's like okay martina you're better at writing organizing all that stuff You know, I fail at it, you don't. So, here, you're going to help me, you know, prevent failure. You're mitigating risk here and there and all over. Um, But yeah, if you're afraid of failure, then you're just going to stay and do what you do and never, uh, never grow.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Not attempting is the biggest failure, right? Not trying. I
1: agree. I agree. Yep. So, Jason, let
0: everybody know where they can find you, where they can find Plugonics. And where they can buy that foot thing that you showed us?
1: Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're live. Our website went live like last week, so we love to we love to uh, get some business there. But yeah, the Klugonics is uh klugony com, K L U G O N Y X com, and then uh, you know you could you could there's a contact form on there. You could message Hunter with the little chat box there, um, and then. The foot hook is literally foothook.com, f-o-o-t-h-o-o-k.com, and uh, they're up for sale. And uh, you know they mount on aluminum doors, wood doors, whatever. Uh, But you know people are businesses are letting people back in. You know, coffee shop, whatever. You know, they're great on bathroom doors that are swinging bathroom doors. They're great on your front door. You know, let people back in safely. Yeah, and you've got a bunch of stuff in your hands, right? You're getting packages delivered. You know, it comes with a little sticker you put by your door handle that says, you know, use your hand, foot hook below, and it points down. And you got, you know, you look down, you hook your foot, swing that door, but you walk right through hands free. So, yeah, check there it
0: out. Got. Foothook.com, cluegodnext.com, and I'll have all of these on the show notes so you guys can check them out. Go to the show notes, and uh, if you're driving, don't try to write these down right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, thank you so much, man. This is This has been amazing. And we got to get together in about a year or so just to check out on those fans. Cause that's something that oh, yeah.
1: uh, I would want one. <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah. They, maybe we get Felipe in here and he can, he can tell you his side of the story and he's a, he's a great guy to talk to. So yeah.
0: Awesome. Thank you, man.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you having me.
0: Thanks for subscribing to Fail Fast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit failfastpodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell
1: us your story.